Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are looking at the theme of learning in The Hunger Games. So what does learning mean to you? Uh, it's a very vague question. Mm-hmm. I love learning. It When I hear learning, I think it makes me happy because I'm such a nerdy Ravenclaw mm-hmm. that it's just like, ooh, free lectures, ooh, interesting books, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So learning means hopefully growing and being more open and being more intentional and yeah helping you to understand contexts understand people understand experiences better mm-hmm. and hopefully i mean for me like i'm always like learning is the answer i mean not necessarily it's the answer to everything but it kind of is so <laughs> yeah like learning education those are things that i'm very passionate about and have been for you know over a decade so learning and education is probably one of the things that gives me more hope that things can maybe change. What about you? Yeah, similarly, you know, I, I love learning new things. I'm, I'm constantly curious. It's one of the reasons I listen to a billion podcasts and I love reading <laughs> and I'm in grad school and all these kinds of things. But I definitely, the more I've taught, the more I've thought about learning from the opposite point of view as well mm. of teaching and the idea of pedagogy being not only the study of how to teach, but societally what a society wants to teach its people. What kind of moral (laughs) virtues and ideas and how systems are built to impart these kinds of lessons in very implicit ways. What kind of brainwashing. (laughs) Exactly, like how socialization works as a teaching method. Mm -hmm. So all of these kinds of things are, I think, it's extremely important to have your own personal curiosity, your own personal desire to learn, a teacher who is helpful in that process and facilitating that learning, but it all happens within these social contexts of what learning can take place. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely am coming in more than ever, I think, with that kind of in mind, because as much as I love learning new things, I also recognize that there are these systemic barriers to that at times. And so I'm interested in examining that within our properties. Yeah, sounds good. So why don't we start out our discussion on The Hunger Games with a quote. And this quote comes from Catching Fire. And it's when they're on the train to the capital for the quarter quell. Peter goes off to retrieve his notebook on the remaining living victors. And we gather in the compartment with the television to see who our competition will be in the arena. We are all in place as the anthem begins to play. And the annual recap of the briefing ceremonies in the 12 districts begins. Yeah, so I kind of love this quote because it shows that Pete is kind of like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, this is what we would do. We would bring out our notebooks and we would take notes and we would try to learn as much as we could. I mean, if we were trying to fight to live. <laughs> yeah. We might just be like, whatever, we'll die. It's okay. But if we were trying to fight to live, then that's what we were would be doing. And yeah, that's a part of PETA is just his kind of, like, he's a very clever person. And mm. he's very strategic. And if it was just up to Katniss and Hamish in this situation, I don't know that they would have done this. Yeah, exactly. 
such a unique kind of way of thinking about preparing for the games, right? It's not training. It's not, although he, he also said they should do that, but it's this mm-hmm. idea of building your knowledge base because this is a unique Hunger Games in that you can go in with extra knowledge and they, as the most recent victors, are going in with the least of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a very smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it's also a very disturbing thing to do, right? Because you're learning these people and these are the people that you're going to have to face in a fight to the death. So it's pretty intense. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's it's interesting that it's the first time you can have somewhat of an advantage going in if you, you know, actually study these things. Yeah, it's interesting. And I also think it's interesting that it's through this that they learn about Hamish's background. Mm. Because without that, I don't think they ever would have found out because I don't think Hamish would have ever talked about it. And so it was this way for him to kind of make a few comments about it after Mm. since he knows they've seen it. But like there's this understanding of things that maybe he can't voice himself and through that they also learn more about how the capital takes out revenge and everything on people who do things differently and they step out in a way that could resist the capital's parameters for how these games work yeah yeah absolutely well why don't we get into our analysis what character did you bring so i wanted to talk about bd okay i think he's a really interesting character when it comes to learning because his learning in his educational background, I think, like they won him the games basically twice, Mm -hmm. right? So the first time he actually won his games by disturbingly electrocuting a bunch of children. And then he is really the main person who allows for them to get out of the second games, right? The quarter quell. And it's also like his education and his studies that I think really kind of win the war because Mm. it's only him being able to break into like the media streams, right? That they can get messages out to the entire Panem. Without that ability, they never would have been able to have that widespread support and revolution. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also, you know, creating weapons, et cetera, et cetera, is all from his background. But I also think it's interesting because his character is like so engrossed in the learning process and the inventions that it kind of makes morality be like this side thing. Mm. And because of that, you know, he was intimately involved in aiding the government keeping power for years and years and years. And I just think it's interesting because unlike in the Star Wars movie Rogue One, right, and Jyn Erso's father, how he used his position to actually weaken the Empire. BD didn't do that. Eventually, when he he could, then he's like, okay, well, I do want this regime to fall. Right, but we don't see the same kind of sabotage. Exactly, exactly. So I think he's just, he's a very interesting character when it comes to learning, because I think his brilliant mind is a bit removed from the morality aspect. Yeah, absolutely. It also makes me wonder because he and Wyrus are the only two victors that we see from District 3. Mm-hmm. And they both are there without the same kind of physical capabilities that we see with most victors, which implies that Wyrus probably won through similar means, right? Using her intelligence rather than kind of physical strength. And 
it makes me wonder how much of BD's capabilities and things like that are innate and how much are through whatever kind of pedagogy they have in District 3, mm-hmm. right? Is it that because District 3 is, is about electronics and these types of things that they actually, in their education system, utilize a teaching method that inspires critical thinking and innovation and all these other kinds of things mm-hmm. that BD and Wireless get from it that other districts aren't getting the same way. Well, and that's the thing. I believe the tribute from District 3 is the one that in the first Hunger Games set up the mines mm. around the food. So, yeah, they do have a more intimate knowledge of how technologies work. Yeah. Yeah. It is quite interesting. Yeah. So why don't we go on to your plot point? Sure. I wanted to talk about the games themselves as a form of learning and education. Interesting. Okay. Because one of the first things that Katniss talks about when she talks about the games is that they are basically there to teach a lesson to the districts. That they are created as a way of telling the districts that this is the repercussions of them rising up and that they are completely within the control of the capital. Mm-hmm. And they not only need to pay recompense for what the capital sees as a slight to them, but that they have to be humiliated and tortured through the process. Ultimately, that really instills the idea of the districts as entirely subservient to the capital. And so I think it's really interesting because we've talked about, especially in like our ignorance episode and things like that, we've talked about kind of the rationale and the purpose of the Hunger Games. And I think so much of it is this idea of maintaining a form of teaching, of lessons, instilling these ideas about the way society is supposed to work, that when I think about education, you know, Katniss only very briefly mentions how she mostly gets education about very basic math and science, but mostly like coal mining stuff, right? (laughs) Right. That education itself is so centered on the way they want these people to operate within their society. That there is no real concept of education for its own sake. Yeah, it's all education for the purpose of maintaining the status the capital wants to have. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, as you were saying, and then the games themselves is for the purpose of, you know, everybody learning from childhood that they don't have any power Mm -hmm. over these things. Yeah, that's a kind of an interesting idea of, like, learned helplessness. Hmm. I remember hearing about this study, like, with dogs and electric shocks. Basically what it was, I think they would, like, ring a bell and then give the dog, like, a very small shock. After doing it so many times, then the dog would just, like, react to the bell even before they got shocked. Then, I mean, it was like a classical conditioning type of study, but then they put them in some sort of crate or container or something, and part of the floor of it would give them electric shocks, but the other part wouldn't, and there was just like a really small, like, little divider that they could just, like, step over, but because of the bell and the shocks when they started getting shocked, like, they didn't even try to go to the other side at all because they just learned that there wasn't anything they could do to stop this from happening. 
Which is really sad. Interesting. Yeah. So I think that the Hunger Games are doing that exact same thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And as a reader, you know, I'm certainly coming in looking for these types of things in the story, in the narrative of not only are how they teaching things, but I also want to learn the history of Panem and, and the districts. And so the kind of dearth of that information, I think, is so important to the way that society operates. And this story, I think, especially shows that the Hunger Games are kind of the primary form of education that Panem has. Mm. Well, and it's kind of interesting, too, if you think about, like, the training that they go through, which Mm. is, like, just a couple days Mm -hmm. before they actually go into the games. And, like, that training, the purpose of it is to make the games more interesting. Mm -hmm. Because if these people learn what some of the poisonous plants are or something, it's less likely that they're going to die in a boring way. Mm -hmm. They're going to die in combat, which is what they want. And so... It's just, it's interesting because if they die in combat and not from, like, very simple things, then the districts are learning not to trust each other, right? Mm -hmm. Because the districts want their own kids to come home and your kid killed my kid, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, it just creates this very hostile, combative relationship between the districts When, again, if everybody just joined together, they would be able to take over the capital because there's so many more of them. But it's that kind of organized unity of purpose that the capital wants to destroy. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Even one of the lessons itself is to not trust other districts, right? It's to see other districts as enemies. But then I also want to look at the game makers and the traps and things that they have around the fields because... I think the intended lesson there is that the capital has the power. The capital can force you to move, to attack, to die mm-hmm. through the use of these these different awful, torturous elements they have in, in the game maps. But another lesson they get from it is the capital is the real enemy, mm-hmm. which, you know, is not necessarily intentional, but is maybe the overlaying message, which ultimately does help to unite them. Yeah, remember who the real enemy is. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, hey, Mitch. The answer is always the government. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we move on to our compelling questions? Okay, before we do, though, from what you were just saying, it made me think of something that I hadn't ever thought about before, which is the fact that the capital has some of those same traps among the capital neighborhoods. And I wonder if part of that is... A technique because you know when they're putting these things in it's not like the people who are living there can't see that this is being done Mm. right if that's another way for the capital citizens even to learn that they don't have control even if they're at the top of the like districts and society the people who are in charge of the government still have power over them and if they wanted to do anything to rebel against that these bad things are going to happen to them too. I mean, which also would be AVOXs, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of these different methods in reestablishing this message that you can't put a toe out of line either just because you're in the capital doesn't mean you're safe. 
Absolutely, yeah. Mechanisms of social control, Mm -hmm. the ways that they maintain that kind of idea, even if not the on the ground control. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people have like said, oh yeah, I thought I was so unrealistic that they had all these things in the capital. And like, I can see that, mm-hmm. but like, I think it's much more understandable and logical from that point of view of control. Absolutely. Well, why don't we move on to our compelling questions? Yeah. So my question for you is where do you see learning creating advantages or disadvantages in Penem? And we've talked about this a little bit, but there's so much there. So... I think when you know, you talk about what the people of Panem are seen as being responsible for, for the capital, you know, they're essentially a labor force and that labor is different based off of which district they're a part of. And so you see with Rue that school absolutely takes a backseat to harvest, mm-hmm. right? Um, which was true for our calendar, our school calendar as well, right? Students mostly typically don't have school in the summer because they were supposed to be home harvesting. <laughs> yeah. But... That's not the case in the same way in other districts. And so I think some of the poverty and disadvantage that you see in districts like Ruse are because they are only learning what they need to to be useful as laborers. Yeah. That's the thing. Education in Penem has nothing to do with enrichment of mm-hmm. people themselves. It only has to do with exploitation of their bodies to have them produce whatever they want. Exactly. Yeah, but it's interesting, right? Because she has a couple advantages that Katniss doesn't, right? Mm. That she's able to go from like tree to tree and she knows how to get some of the venom out from the tracker tracker Mm. stings. So Katniss very well might have died otherwise. So there are like just certain advantages just from experience that different districts have. And so, yeah, it's all fine and well that... District 3 has some technological advantages, but if there isn't wires, if there isn't, you know, any access to anything electrical, then they might be greatly disadvantaged. Hmm. And the careers, they have the advantages of being well-fed and being able to train with these weapons beforehand. But when it comes to other survival skills, once their food is blown up, they don't have anything. Mm -hmm. They haven't had to develop any survival skills. And so that greatly disadvantages them once they get into the games if they don't have access to the food that's already prepared Mm. in the cornucopia. And so, yeah, I just think it's interesting, like, when it comes to brute strength, they win more often than not. But one kid who learns how to hunt with a bow and arrow, she could defeat everyone. (laughs) Yeah, it's so interesting because at that point, then Katniss's relative privilege within the games comes from the fact that she subverted the traditional pedagogy Mm -hmm. of her district, that she went literally outside the confines of (laughs) what they were trying to teach her and physically outside the confines of the district to find ways to survive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was this subversive learning, which is just something I love because I think, yeah, 
we always do need to be very critical of like the learning that takes place that is sanctioned by the government mm. because they have a very specific agenda and not just Penem's government and all of the governments <laughs> and do learning outside of what the people in power want you to do because i mean i mean that's that's all of it right like we can't even do studies on gun violence by you know legal gun owners Mm -hmm. because lobbying money and the government's like nope can't do this study so yeah subversive ways to learn i think is is a really powerful idea as well yeah yeah absolutely well my question for you is what do you think the capital intended tributes to learn from their mentors? I think... I think that they wanted them to learn some types of strategies and ideas because part of this is about entertainment Mm. and you want it to be an interesting game. You don't want it all to, like, end in two days Mm -hmm. because the capital has been looking forward to this for a year, right? And so... Yeah, I think they wanted them to learn some helpful things. I think more so the capital probably wants the mentors to learn that they still control their lives, Hmm. that they're still going to have to be there to mentor kids who are going to get killed every single year. Hmm. And again, learn this like, this is your place. This is your life. And just because you won and you have more money and resources now doesn't mean that you actually have any very much real power. Hmm. I don't know. Those are the first thoughts that come to my head. What what are you thinking? Yeah, funnily enough, I think that that element that you're mentioning of what the mentors should learn, I think is something that the capital also wants the mentors to pass down, whether explicitly or implicitly. The mentors have lived a life already of fear of the capital and understanding that the capital can take everything from them and will take everything from them even after they participate. Mm -hmm. And I think that the first thing that Hamish tells to Katniss after she comes back from the games shows he's already imparting that knowledge to her, right? When he Mm -hmm. tells her that she needs to keep up this act or else she's in danger. And sure, he wants to hide this from the capital to help protect her, to help keep her out of danger, but... The lesson that he's giving her is you work for the capital, essentially. You do not have your own life. You do not have independence. And the first lesson that she gets coming back is that lesson. And I think that maybe that's only for the new victors, but already having a relationship with a mentor that's going to help kind of propel you in that way, I think is going to be really important for the capital as well. And it's a really interesting idea of like the different status that different mentors have Mm -hmm. and how that would affect their mentees Mm. like Cato and Clove's mentor would have a very different feel I'm sure than Hamish Mm -hmm. who Katniss and Peta had to get to stop being completely drunk and being like oh Hamish is our mentor that means we're never gonna win versus a career district mentor is like oh look at the glory that I have Mm -hmm. and I I volunteered, you know, like volunteering was common, right? So it's like, I volunteered for this and I won. You know, it's a very different feel. And they may very well be volunteering to be a mentor, right? Because there's yeah. actually a selection of them. Right. So it would just feel very different. For better or worse, Hamish is going to be like, there's a very slim chance that you're going to make it out of this. Mm-hmm. So these are the best advantages. Whereas 
the career district ones. And like, oh, well, we're just going to show all of our skills in these group trainings because they're so arrogant to their own downfall, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But why don't we move on? So what is your missed opportunity? Well, mine comes from them going into District 13. Because when they go into District 13, just the idea that District 13 is still around isn't of itself a shattering of the history that they've been given. That yeah. 13 was eradicated yeah. um, at the end of this failed rebellion. And the idea that there is a not only someone who survived when the capital said they were eradicated, but who maintains in some ways power to match the capital, at least with their nuclear arsenals, is a huge challenge to the narrative that the, the capital is putting out there. I wish that there was more of that. I wish that we uncovered more kind of hidden histories from going outside the bubble of what the capital controls. I wish I that, that when Katniss and the others go into District 13, they start to learn more about what prompted the first rebellion mm. and what the relationship between the districts and the capital was like beforehand and what mm -hmm. Pan Am's history outside of this socializing brainwashing that we've been talking about this entire episode, what that looks like. That yeah. Katniss could ta have taken this opportunity to learn more of that history. And I think that kind of also touches on what Katniss sees as useful or productive. She has been taught that only what helps her survive is useful. And that these things, which may be empowering, may be compelling or interesting and otherwise enriching, aren't really what she needs. And so they're not what she goes after. So yeah, so, you know, historian like myself, I just wish that I got to learn more about that. And it's one of the reasons I'm also excited for the coming book. Yeah, totally. No, I completely agree. And mine's not the same, but a little bit uh, along the same lines that my missed opportunity is like, I just really want more insight into the actual education systems mm. and like curriculum that different districts use and even the capital citizens get. And I think it would also be super fascinating to have that for District 13. What is District 13 teaching their kids in terms of like national narratives? Mm -hmm. It's something that is just very interesting to me because standardized education can be just a way of training up people to be, you know, quote unquote, good citizens and whatever that means. And right? good laborers. Right? Well, that, that, that's, well, I mean, that is synonymous, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's not to teach people how to think critically, generally. It's not to teach people how to organize and I just, I found it really interesting many years ago that I, I had learned that in tons of, of textbooks in the U.S., it states that milk is the primary source of calcium. <laughs> and these books were sponsored by Kraft, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like the fact that a company would have that kind of control and power over learning in a country is like scary, you know, because like what else is being taught like that? And so it's just a fascinating and scary and disturbing ways that governments can control people through controlling what information they have access to or controlling what is just taught as quote unquote fact. Mm -hmm. And it would just be really interesting to me to see how different messages were fed through the curriculum to different districts. And yeah, I just, I want that. 
And yeah, I mean, what kind of privileged type of view would the capital textbooks be written from? Mm -hmm. Because the types of things that are written about like, oh, yeah, dropping the atomic bomb on Japan was necessary. It's like that's just 100% inaccurate. Yet this is a continued narrative that I still hear people making an argument for when it's just like, no, this is so incorrect. And clearly there hasn't been any real scholarship surrounding it that the average citizen is getting, Mm. or citizen maybe isn't the great word, uh, the average person is getting in the country. And throughout millennia, (laughs) it's the conquerors that are writing these narratives about why they were right to conquer. So... I think it would be very interesting to see what the capital would put forth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Well, do you have a takeaway? I mean, I guess my takeaway is just that education itself is such an important part of the way that societies operate and try to maintain control. Mm-hmm. And that power and imbalances of power are so often seen in the forms that education takes, both formal and informal mm-hmm. and subversive. And that Hunger Games, because it is so much about power and about subversion of power, I think is a really great example of how to look at this theme in a narrative. This is definitely a theme I've been really excited about, obviously, for a while. (laughs) And I'm really, really glad that we got to start with Hunger Games because it it came out really, really well. (laughs) Patting yourself on the back? Yeah, patting us on the back. (laughs) Yeah, I think my takeaway is Knowledge definitely can be power, but also, like, teaching Mm -hmm. is power or, like, creating the material for teaching and to be critical of it all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, like, what, what is the aim of the books, of the classes, whatever it is? You always gotta look at those intentions. Totally. All right, well, why don't you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? So we're going to be returning to Avatar The Last Airbender and or Legend of Korra. And we're going to be looking through the theme of family. Great. Family and Avatar. Sounds cute. Well, thanks very much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines for show notes, blog posts, and other great supplemental information about the podcast. And of course, you can join our wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines to get access to all sorts of extra content and ability to engage with us and the great community that we're building. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor-Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!